What on earth am I supposed to do with my life? Has anybody here ever wondered that? What am I supposed to do with my life? I know I have asked that question many different times throughout the years. And if you happen to be wondering that right now, I think today's passage is going to help you. If you, if you are not wondering that right now, if you know exactly what you're supposed to do with your life, I still think this passage is going to help you. Let's turn there together. It's Galatians chapter 1, 11 through 24. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. You can follow along again at ljc.life. There's an outline of the sermon on there if you want to follow along. There in the scriptures on there as well. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. This is Paul speaking. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him, among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only, heard, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. Let's pray together. Father, speak to us tonight through your words. Father, I am nothing, but your words are everything. So please help me as I speak tonight to take a back seat to your word. Father, tonight is all about your son and these words he has to speak to us. And we pray they might change us from the inside out so that we might praise you because of your Son. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so one of the most famous and shocking verses in Scripture is Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 says this. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, usually the main thing people focus on in this verse is the fact that God works all things for the good of the Christian. And that is a profound truth, no doubt. But what is, it's also important to notice the second half of this verse, right, where it says, 
Every Christian has been called by God for a purpose. This should give you as much hope as the first half of the verse. And it is this idea of calling that Paul is describing here to the churches in Galatia. He's explaining his own bizarre and miraculous calling. Now, though Paul's experience is weird in many specific ways, I think his experience overall is true for all of us. And as we examine Paul's calling, it should help us examine our own calling. Paul gives us six short points in this text. Let's look at them together. Six short points. Number one is the origin of the call. Let's look at verses 11 through 12. The origin of the call. Verses, verse 11, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, let's take a time out here for a second. We in the 21st century in Huntsville uh, need to be reminded that we are listening to the words firsthand of a man whose life overlapped with Jesus Christ in the first century. A man who is claiming to have direct authoritative revelation straight from Jesus. This leaves us with three options regarding Paul. Number one, he is pathetically deluded. Number two, he's lying through his teeth. Or number three, he is telling the truth and speaks as an apostle with the very authority of God. If you're a skeptic here tonight, I hope that as you explore this passage and other passages like it, that you will come to see that Paul is under no delusion. And he is certainly no fraud. But as a skeptic, I invite you to explore. Explore the claims of Christ and explore the words of Paul and see for yourself. The Apostle Paul seems to me to be the real deal. And according to this man, his calling came directly from Jesus. So Jesus is the origin of the call. Number two, the timing of the call. Let's look at verses 15 through 16. The timing of the call. 15 through 16. Paul says, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. Okay, so the call of God comes before you're born. Before you're born. God set Paul apart for salvation and apostleship before he was even a twinkle in his mother's eye. Now, why is this so important for us? Why is this so important? Because this shows that our lives are not afterthoughts in the mind of God. God is not making things up as he goes along. No, not at all. You see, it's not as though God looked down and saw how slow the 12 apostles were uh, at carrying out the Great Commission, and he said, well, golly bum, the 12 apostles are really mucking things up. I better come up with a plan B and send Paul in there. No. No, neither the Gentile mission nor Paul's role in it was plan B. God planned Paul's apostleship before there were any apostles. 
before there was even a universe to have apostles in. The sovereign God only has a plan A. Paul did not simply put himself forward for the job. No, quite the opposite, actually. God put Paul forward for the job. And he did it on the Damascus Road when Paul was a Christ-hating, Christian-persecuting Pharisee. Look at verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. In other words, Paul is saying this. He's saying, when God chose me before I was born to be his apostle to the Gentiles, it was his plan. It was his plan to let me become a hateful persecutor of his church so that it would be crystal clear that when he called me, it would be totally his doing. Now, on a personal note, I used to look back on my life as an atheist with a lot of regret. A lot of regret. I said some terrible things about Jesus to a lot of people. And that used to bring me a lot of shame. It used to bring me a lot of embarrassment. It did. And maybe you look back at your life with regret and shame. But here the Apostle Paul comes along with great news. And the great news is this. That it was God's sovereign plan to let you live a life of debauchery before He rescued you. Why? So that it would be crystal clear to you and to everyone that when He called you, it was all Him. It was all Him. That you played no role in your salvation. It was 100% the sheer love and grace of Jesus that saved you. Think about it. The fact that Paul is even a Christian is mind-blowing, right? <laughs> this persecutor of Jesus. This persecutor of Jesus' precious children, his church. It's shocking that he's a Christian at all. Let alone Jesus' appointed apostle to the Gentiles. This is unbelievable when you think about it, right? It's utterly inexplicable from any human standpoint. But you know what? It's the same with me. It's the same with me. The fact that I am saved is mind-blowing. It makes no sense. If, if we were to play a tape tonight of the things I used to say about Jesus and his church, you would think I was unqualified to be your pastor, let alone be a Christian. And yet here I am. By sheer grace. It is nothing that I did. 
I did nothing to earn acceptance and love from Christ, but I got it anyway. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. And you know what? It's the same with you. It's the same with you. You did nothing to earn God's love and acceptance and salvation. It is a free gift. It's a free gift. It's a miracle, folks, that we're even saved at all. And that's the point. And that's the point. It's a miracle that we're saved. But we have no reason to be ashamed. None. The sovereign God planned this. He planned it. And Christ took upon our shame upon himself on the cross so that he could turn our regret into rejoicing. Point number three, the nature of the call. The nature of the call. Verses 15 and 16, Paul says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. How did God call Paul? By revealing Christ to him. That was how he called him. In the middle of Paul's utter hatred for Jesus and Christianity, Jesus graciously appeared to Paul. But this was more than a blinding physical encounter. I know that's kind of what we like to focus on, but there's a lot more going on here. Paul saw the truth and beauty and worth of the Jesus he had been persecuting. And he saw that here was the end, the destruction of all his religion. So how would Paul respond to his vision of Jesus? You see, obeying Jesus' call to become the apostle to the Gentiles meant that everything Paul was and might become would have to die. Everything. His identity, his security, and his prosperity would be vaporized if he said yes to Jesus' call. And so what did Paul do? Paul said yes. Why? Not because Paul was beautiful, but because Jesus was. Jesus was simply too beautiful not to consider everything else garbage in comparison. And so Paul said yes. Point number four, the focus of the call. The point of verses 16 through 21 is that Paul did not consult with flesh and blood while his understanding of the gospel was taking shape. The apostles did not teach Paul the gospel. Jesus taught Paul the gospel. Now, does this mean that neither Paul nor me and you need discipleship? Of course not. Paul was discipled by some of the apostles and by Barnabas. 
But the point here is that we must not depend on the discipleship of man only to grow us. The whole point of discipleship is so that we can get to the point where we are independently dependent upon Christ for everything. Independently dependent upon Christ for everything. Now there are so many examples of Christians placing too much trust in a spiritual leader. Too much trust in a spiritual leader. And when that leader fails them or morally falls, that Christian falls right along with him. I've got an atheist friend of mine, and he likes to send me uh, Facebook messages every time a, a pastor uh, gets in big sin trouble, right, and gets caught doing something morally abhorrent. <laughs> he likes to shoot me a text or shoot me a Facebook message, right? And I've talked with him about it this multiple times. I guess he thinks it's funny uh, to shoot those to me. But I've talked to him about this multiple times. And I said, you know, dude, none of that bothers me. <laughs> none of that bothers me because uh, I, I'm not placing my trust in man anyway. Right. And Paul wasn't either. Right. Paul is saying, no, my trust is only going to be in the one who cannot fail. My trust is only going to be in the one who cannot fail. Be discipled? Absolutely. But make sure that the focus of that discipleship is on Christ, not your discipler. Okay, point number five, the purpose of the call. The purpose of the call. Paul is a radically new man. In fact, the conversion of Paul is one of the most powerful arguments for the truth of Christianity. It's something that confuses skeptics and atheist scholars because Paul is an undeniable historical figure that has undeniably completely changed his life around, like a 180, right? And that is it's kind of hard to, for the skeptic to explain why Paul would do such a 180. My two cents is that uh, Paul's radically new life uh, can only be accounted for if he really did have an encounter with the risen Christ. That's the only thing that makes any sense to me. Now, he ends his description of this period of his life with the amazing impact the gospel had on the Christians in Judea. This is verses 21 through 24. He says, Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. And what was the report? The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Paul the persecutor and destroyer of Christians. Paul the Pharisee. This Paul was preaching the faith, the exact faith he had tried to destroy. Indeed, at enormous cost to himself. And what was the result? Verse 24. And they praised God because of me. <laughs> Paul's point is this. There is no adequate explanation for my life. There just is none apart from the glory of God revealed in His precious Son. Nothing else makes any sense. 
Only the grace of God makes sense. And every Christian needs to ask themselves this question with a good amount of regularity. And the question is this. Are people in my sphere of influence glorifying God because of me? Are people in my sphere of influence glorifying God because of me? Look, not all of us are called to become a martyr for the gospel like Paul was, for sure. But every Christian, no matter your specific, unique calling, will always have this as a part of it. Your life is meant to cause others to give God glory. Whether you're a pastor, an entrepreneur, an engineer, a doctor, a missionary, a teacher, a farmer, a homemaker, whatever, your calling, your purpose is to cause others to worship. But how in the world are we supposed to do this? That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) right? That's a lot of pressure. Are we even capable of this? Well, uh, no, we're not. And Paul wasn't either. If we try to muster up enough talent, enough smarts, and enough boldness to make our lives cause others to give God glory, the only thing we'll end up with is depression at our failure. Which leads us to our last point. Point number six, the power for the call. God has already given us everything we need to accomplish His purposes. It's in verse 11. It's in verse 11. I want you to know, brothers and sisters... That the gospel I preached is not of human origin. The gospel is not of human origin. The message of Christianity is the gospel. The message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins in our place and that he's not dead anymore but three days after he was buried rose victoriously over sin death hell and the grave and that Jesus is now the king of all ruling over our universe and heaven and hell and anything else that might be out there That's the message of Christianity. And it's not human. That message that I just declared to you is supernatural. It is a supernatural message. Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
You see, it's not just that the message reveals the power of God. The message is the power of God. You see? The message, the message is the power. And this supernatural message turned the world upside down. Even skeptics agree. Even skeptics, skeptical scholars agree that this message changed everything. Agnostic sociologist Rodney Stark in his book, The Triumph of Christianity, writes this, and I quote, The historical record proves conclusively that leaving aside the question of the truth of Christian belief, it greatly improved the lives of its adherents in the Roman world, especially women was the real source of modern science and free market capitalism and is still on an upward arc globally, improving the lives of all it touches, end quote. That's a skeptic that I just read you. Here's another one. This is agnostic historian Tom Holland. He writes this in his new book called Dominion, and I quote, Ultimately, Concepts like human rights and dignity do not go back to Greek philosophers or Roman imperialism. They go back to Paul. Paul's letters, along with the four Gospels, are the most influential, the most impactful, the most revolutionary writings that have emerged from the ancient world. End quote. This is a non-Christian scholar writing this. Folks, the simple gospel literally changed the world and continues to do so. Our simple gospel. And this is the main way in which your life will cause others to glorify God. Like Paul, the more your heart is melted by the beauty and wonder of Christ and his gospel, the more you will want to spread his message to others. And the amazing thing is, you won't have to muster up any intelligence or impressive wisdom or special insight within yourself to make the message work. No. The simple message itself supplies everything needed. The message itself supplies everything needed. The message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins and my sins and that he's not dead anymore but has overcome death, hell, and the grave. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that simple message has the power to change anyone. 
anyone, including me. Including me. I, like Paul, was a Jesus hater. And that message of his love for me, his death on my behalf, changed my life. And here I stand before you, humbly, as his ambassador, his ambassador of grace. Do you see how freeing this is? The gospel takes all the pressure off you as a Christian witness. The gospel itself does all the work. You don't have to force anything. Just proclaim the gospel. It does the work. The Spirit does the work through the message. And when that remarkable truth finally sinks in, when it finally sinks in, you can wake up every morning and pray, Lord, your gospel changed my life. Please, send me someone to share that life-changing gospel with today. Let's all pray together. Jesus, what a gospel. What a message. Lord, we know it's changed the world and continues to change the world. But we pray tonight that it wouldn't just change the world, quote-unquote, but it would change us. That it would motivate us, that it would move us out of our comfort zones and into the world you died for. We pray that we would get a vision of you through your gospel like Paul got. Show us your extravagant beauty, your deep love, and your infinite mercy. Show it to us, Lord. Show us your face so that we might be changed from the inside out, that we might be moved by a beautiful vision of you, and we might be moved by the wonder of your cross and the power of your resurrection. Move us, Jesus, with a vision of you and what you have done on our behalf. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.